Hello and welcome to Mike's Open Journal and to episode 73. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was fortunate enough, as you know, to speak with Beth and hear about her experience with Time to Change Wales. And today, I'm delighted to be able to share with you my discussion with Jodie, who has been doing a huge amount of work over the last couple of years uh, with Time to Change um, over here in England. And oh, so much stuff is been, has been going on um, not just for JD, but a range of different uh, young people that are involved with Times Change, and it was really cool to hear about that um, and hear about Jody's experience. Uh, we sat down and spoke, uh, I think, a couple of days after the Mental Health Awareness Day or World Mental Health Day. I think it's Awareness Day. Um, so it's really cool to hear about her experience, which she'll tell you about in this episode. It's really interesting uh, and really. Um, it's, yeah, it's just really interesting to hear and really cool to hear that those people that are really passionate, that are really involved and uh, going out there and putting themselves out there in talking about mental health, in promoting the different types of support that are available, um, are kind of getting some recognition um, and just having a really cool experience. So it was really cool to hear from Jodie about that. Uh, Jodie is someone I've known for... I think a couple of years now, uh, we've met up once, which we talked briefly about, which was really, really cool. Um, and I am hoping that next year um, we're able to meet up again, um, which would be pretty awesome. A big thank you to JD for sharing her experience um, with us on the podcast today. Um, and again, it's just really quite humbling to be able to hear some of the experiences that my guests have been on. Um, and be part of them sharing that experience and their journey. If you're interested in coming onto the podcast in the future, it'd be absolutely amazing to have you. Uh, I do have guests, very fortunately now, up until just after the new year. So if you're interested or not too sure, um, you can always get in contact and we can have a little bit of a discussion. There's no rush to, uh, to come on until the new year now as well. So thank you very much for tuning in, and I'm going to drop you straight in to my conversation with Jodie. I was trying to work out earlier, actually, like the first time we spoke, because I remember when we met at like the Talk MH Meetup, and I yeah. remember that I like I knew you, but I don't think I'd spoken much to you before then. Yeah, no, I can't really remember. Um, it probably would have been just through kind of Twitter, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, I think so. And it kind of just, I think it went more so from the meetup. But yeah, because I, I think, yeah, I, I was thinking I knew who you were, but like, like I knew who you were, like I, we weren't like close, like we hadn't really spoken a lot before, which makes me think maybe we were just like, we'd been involved in like the Talk Mates chats, maybe just spoken yeah. like, just in the chat. Yeah, I don't think, kind of on the chat, I think it was very quick paced as well. Mm. So it was kind of like, you know of people, yeah, but not necessarily know people, I think. Yeah. I've spoken to you a lot more since obviously actually meeting, mm. you know, the whole idea of not meeting people from social media and that's all we ever do. Yeah. Yeah. It's really <laughs> funny because I, um, a couple of times, I think it was last week, I went into groups and I do like a safety tutorial about meeting people online. <laughs> never, never do that. I was talking to one of the groups and I was like, look, 
I'm not saying you can't go and do stuff and I'm just like it's about being aware of the dangers and I said like yeah one of the groups we started talking and they were telling me about some of the stuff they've done and I was like well last year I went to um uh Manchester for a meetup and didn't tell anyone I was going stayed in a hostel so no one knew I was going there no one knew how long I was going to be there when I was coming back who I was going to see <laughs> went on my own and that was like my first meetup I think so I didn't know anyone that was there um, other than like, oh, we've spoken on Twitter. And it's not until you look back and you think, you're a bit of an idiot. <laughs> yeah. We were, doing, we were kind of doing the same thing in Hyde Park. There was like a group of us um, saying, this is literally what our parents have warned us of. Like, yeah. who are we meeting right now? We don't know. Like, <laughs> they look like their profile picture. Let's just go with it. It's fine. <laughs> I think it's that. Okay. It's, I guess it just comes back to the... It's not don't do it. It's just be aware of the danger, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, oh, dear. Yeah, it was so nice. Like, we were so lucky with the weather as well when we did the, the Talk MH meet up in London. Oh, yeah, it was beautiful. I really thought it was going to rain. Yeah. A couple Sun of times. Sun came out for us. Yeah, a couple of times it looked like it was a bit patchy, but it yeah. was a really nice day. And it was cool to actually meet up with people and sit down and chat and really meet people i think it adds a lot to like the relationships i guess you build up online yeah because on like it's it's a a twitter handle it's a profile picture but there's only so much you can know about someone online Mm. i think but obviously i think a lot of my friendships kind of through talk mh and through other twitter chats and just the general mental health community they've gone into like there have been like really deep relationship like really quickly and I think it's because mm. of maybe the, obviously the shared experiences that those friendships have blossomed maybe quicker than they would with kind of like at school maybe or in the workplace um yeah but it's been brilliant and it's just getting to meet them in person is obviously just that kind of more human like mm. there's a face it's not just a 2d image on your screen yeah I there is someone there it, it's a lot more as well when they're there are people that are part of like the different groups that you're involved with to know that like, especially if that person's part of your, um, I guess like support system to know that person as a in brackets, real person rather than just someone online can be really nice as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's wonderful. Um, I think it's such a strong and supportive community anyway that, I think it's just built up so many friendships and you see so many friendships that have blossomed. They've been amazing that you can see people have met up through these chats or through maybe shared campaigning events mm. or actual, they've been working maybe for the same charity, but at different times um, and they've come together. So like with Beth, um, she's over at the uh, Times Change Wales and mm. I'm obviously over in the kind of more English campaign. Um, so we've like had a lot of them coming about that and kind of seeing how, each campaign runs slightly differently, but also for the same message. And it's just been, yeah, it's been really nice. So speaking of campaigns, um, yesterday, yesterday, oh, my days are so confused at the moment. Um, I thought it was Tuesday, like all day today until about four o'clock. Um, <laughs> yes. That's better than the other way around. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's you're, not... near, you're nearer the weekend. Yeah. Um, yesterday was World Mental Health Awareness Day. Um, and I know there was loads of stuff going on with campaigns and different bits and pieces, um, especially sort of in workplaces. Uh, I don't know what you did or what you saw going on and what your thoughts about the day were. Yeah, so I had quite an exciting day. Um, 
in the run-up, actually, to the day. So this was my main blogging side and main campaigning aspect of World Mental Health Day. I set up a blogging series called What It Feels Like, and that was in the aim to show maybe the more human side of mental illness and actually allowing people to understand what it feels like to actually experience these illnesses uh, rather than just maybe like the clinical description that you might get on medical websites, for example. And it ended up being an 11-part series. Um, I wasn't planning it to be quite so big, but I left it kind of open so that whoever wanted to get involved, their illness was basically given a platform to talk about. So we went from depression, anxiety, we had bipolar, we had schizoaffective disorder, um, PTSD, body dysmorphic disorder, and it was fantastic. I had about 50 contributors in the end um, to get their messages out and actually show people what it really feels like to experience an illness and show that actually there is kind of more to it than just these list of symptoms and list of treatments. There's a human that's experiencing this and they're not just a diagnosis. They're not just a label. They're actually a person and you need to get to know that person. And also it was kind of quite good to show how one illness can affect two different people, three different people, or everyone so differently and that it needs to be really individual. Um, so when you're maybe helping out a friend or a loved one, I think it's important to make sure that you ask how you can help them rather than just assuming, okay, well, this helped this person, therefore I'm going to do this for you and that's going to help you and it's going to be great. Actually, that might really not help the same person in the same way. So... I think it kind of showed a little bit about tailoring maybe um, how to support your loved ones and asking them what it is they need and what their individual needs are. It was really nice to see as well because uh, I saw a couple of the, the posts go up and it was actually really nice because like you say, you've got a few different people in each post talking about their experience. Yeah. So it really shows the, the diversity that there can be even within one illness as well um in terms yeah. of like how they experience that but also what works or what hasn't worked um and the way that they feel affected by those illnesses can be very very different like you say yeah 100% it was yeah it's really nice to see um so many people are getting involved and actually wanting to be open and honest about kind of their experiences and how how it impacted them i guess and being able to actually have the platform to allow their voice to be heard and the amount of power that is in lived experience is ridiculous like you can see so many articles online but if it's talking just general statistics this that and the other then it might not engage people quite as much the light bulb might not kind of switch on but as soon as a personal experience is thrown in there people seem so much more engaged that the light the light switch just goes straight on mm. people are engaged people are listening people are inspired and it also helps people to maybe open up the conversations a bit more so i just wanted to get basically that all set up in the run-up to because i knew that the day itself was going to um a pretty busy one for me and i probably wouldn't get that much time i was hoping to do another one um on the day but well, I'll go on to explain kind of how the day went, um, and it got a bit busy, so I didn't get one post yesterday. 
but I got the series kind of published beforehand, so that was good. But I've got kind of like a review of the day coming out soon. Um, so I'll still be kind of talking World Mental Health Day, um, kind of what went on, what the day's about, just kind of, I guess, share the message. Um, I was originally having a radio interview in the morning, mm-hmm. um, but I never got the phone call. So whatever happened to that, they've just given up on me, clearly. Um, <laughs> and then... So, right, I didn't listen to their show anyway because they weren't getting a view from me. Um, <laughs> brutal. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. Um, and then the rest of my day, I'd actually got an invite to um, share the evening at Buckingham Palace. Um, there was a reception um, held at Buckingham Palace for World Mental Health Day with the royals. So there was Prince William, uh, Kate and Harry. All attended, um, and I was lucky enough, and I felt incredibly honoured and privileged to have been invited um, as part of my campaign and work through Time to Change. Um, there was twelve of us um, from Time to Change that were invited, um, all with like a really posh, lovely stationery little envelope, um, and. Yeah, so we got there about half past five, I think it was. Um, normal security, get through the gates, and then you end up in this seriously posh house. They do not need that um, revamp, I'm telling you. Like, it was, <laughs> it was beautiful. Like, we were, we were kind of like looking around the room and thinking, 362 million? Are you sure? Like, I'm pretty happy with this place, if I'm honest. Um, I'm not sure what can be touched up because everything is shining. The carpet is thick. It is soft. Paintings everywhere. Beautiful. Um, anyway, off of the decor. Um, yeah, so we got into the room um, and it was filled with kind of like campaigners from different organisations. So there was um, Time to Change, there was Rethink Mental Illness, there was Mind, there was Student Minds, um, Youth Access, there was people from Department of Health, Department of Education, and all of these different kind of like high profile um, people. So as well as the Royals, we had Stephen Fry there, who oh, okay. um, was lucky enough to, um, oh yeah, I know, <laughs> lucky enough um, to meet and have a chat with. Um, and who else was there? So Professor Green, Ruby Wax, uh, Bryony Gordon, Neil Laybourne. Um, it was, yeah, it was really exciting. It was inc- so inspiring to actually just kind of stand there and just actually just look around and take it all in yeah. and kind of realise where you are. Like, it's World Mental Health Day. You're standing in the middle of Buckingham Palace with all of these incredible campaigners and like-minded individuals. We're all there we're all fighting for the same goal mm. um, and obviously to get kind of mental health awareness out there to get it into schools and to really just tackle the stigma behind it and get it as a more open honest conversation and for it to be equal on equal parity to physical health and that's kind of like all everyone in that room wanted and it was just so lovely it was just such a lovely vibe as well um, that everyone was just so inspired by everyone else and I think that was one of I think the best things for me is that we had all of these kind of like high profile um, people in the room and actually it was the group of Time to Change kind of staff and some of the volunteers that inspired me most out of the entire room. I was just kind of like looking at them and thinking, you're awesome, you're awesome, you're awesome. And 
they just inspired me so much. And it was, it was just incredible to kind of, I guess, take it in and realize where you were, what's actually happening. And to realize this is not a dream. This is happening. We've had weeks of stressing about dresses and now we're here. We're dressed. We're ready to go. You laugh, but it was horrendous. There was tears beyond tears. Like I can't even, even begin to tell you how many clothes I've got to take back to shops. Currently on the bed. It's horrendous, Mike. It's horrendous. Oh, God. You can imagine like, the thought that goes into just like a normal, oh, I'm going along to something. And then when you're like... I'm going to Buckingham Palace and I'm going to meet all these amazing people and it's a big event for something that I'm really passionate about and you put all that on top of just what to wear. (laughs) No, honestly, it was, oh God, that was the most horrendous part. It was like the run-up. It was like, yes, I'm going to Buckingham Palace. Oh God, what on earth do I wear? Like, I don't have an outfit for Buckingham Palace. Like, I don't have an outfit to go down Tesco's. This is horrendous. (laughs) So yeah, so it was, that amount of stress so that'll be kind of tomorrow I think it'll be like packing everything up and waiting for that refund to come in and like rolling around in cash for a little while um and then realizing actually that was my cash in any way I wasn't just being paid to take dresses back um I mean it was just a kind of fantastic evening we had um the directors of Time to Change were there with us um I spoke to a fair bit um we had my involvement officer Joss who was also there a couple of other young champions. We had Nikki, Mariam, and Zephy, um, and some of the adult team as well. So there were Joe at the comms. We had Lucy Nichol, who's also a campaigner and has done a lot of media work. Um, so it's just, I think, good to get everyone together as well. Mm. I know, I mean, there's probably more subtle ways of getting people together than just pop into the palace. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, maybe a cafe, but <laughs> I take the palace. Yeah. You know, same time next week is fine for me. Okay. Actually, no, it's not. I can't, I can't get dressed again. Oh. <laughs> Just keep one of those extra tops. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I can't, I can't do that all over again just so soon. The stress, the toll. Um, but, yeah, so that's how I spent World Mental Health Day. Um, and I know within um, kind of my fellow champions at Times Change, hmm. there were loads and loads of events going on all around the country. So at different kind of hubs, regional coordinators, had set up their own events and they'd brought young champions in to help them. They'd gone into schools, they'd run events, they'd run stalls. I think there was a spoken word um, night as well going on. There were blogs, there were vlogs, and it was just all over my feed yesterday and it was so amazing to see. I wish I could have like looked at every single one of them, but I was so busy. So I'm going through tomorrow and actually catching up on what everyone's got up to um reading all the blogs watching the vlogs but to see so many passionate people talking so openly so honestly and just showing how unashamed they are and I think that's come a long long way so for me even a year ago if I was told I was going into just a school to have a conversation with someone I would have just laughed I'm like that's ridiculous why would you even suggest that I would do something like that I can't do that and then now to look today that I've gone into I don't know, 12, 13 schools. I've given presentations galore. I've gone into Department of Health and I am standing in Buckingham Palace. That is, seems so ridiculous and so kind of surreal to me that that can happen in a year. Mm. Whereas before that, I was so ashamed. I didn't talk to anyone about it. I didn't even um, 
yeah, not even like close friends really didn't talk about it. They might have known kind of the odd thing. But since then, how much more open I've got and I've seen other people as well that have come on the same or similar kind of journey as I have with campaigning. Um, so there's a cohort of us, so quite a big cohort of us. And that to see fellow champions as well, how much they've grown, mm. that inspires me to keep campaigning and to campaign harder and harder and fight more and more to tackle the stigma behind it. Because I've seen what it's done to so many people that actually that makes me kind of strive more and more for the goal. And especially I think when stigma comes through now, I've learned to be like, no, that's not okay. And this is what I'm going to do about it. And I've learned, I think myself, that I'm quite good at actually responding to trolls or anyone that makes a stigmatizing comment that I don't kind of fight back against kind of, their comment more so I kind of just educate them with okay these are the facts this is actually kind of what you're saying and this is how it makes people feel um sometimes people don't listen and you've got to learn at that point that actually your health's more important so you can't keep trying and trying with the same person when they're not listening to you and they're not open um to listen to you at that point so I think that's that's quite difficult to know that some minds that you just can't change um but also attitudes don't change overnight. It's like you say, it's not a case of the minds won't change. It's more a case of there's, like you say, there's, it requires more time. It requires more conversation and actually the knowledge that, you know, it's not something that you're going to achieve in a couple of tweets. Like it's, it's something that needs to come through more education and potentially their view could be changed if they were, um, exposed to probably the type of talks and stuff like that that you do in schools um and having yeah. a bit more interaction and seeing someone um in a way that they're more receptive to i guess but i think you're right i think being able to say yeah i, I don't agree with that this is why this is what i think or this is these are the facts um yeah and then if that's going to continue i think you're right it, you like you've made the attempt to correct or to put your view across, um, yeah. and then at that stage, it, I think it is really important to say actually you, you you're not gaining anything from that. The other person isn't going to gain anything from that. You're much better off just to kind of end that conversation. And yeah, I think that's definitely. where we see a lot of a lot of the time. Um, and I know um, I'd say in the last even maybe even in the last year where there's been a lot of stuff online where there are disagreements and things like that. Sometimes we do need to get to a stage where it is a case of okay I think this you think that that's completely fine let's just stop the conversation because you kind of just end up rehashing essentially what you've said in the first place and it's yeah it's not going anywhere and that only leads then I think into into more issues for us um there was a couple of things in there that'd be really nice to pick up and I think we'll come back to like the time to change stuff as well um but yep. i didn't know if you were happy to tell us a little bit about your experience with mental health and kind of your journey yeah so um for me i think i've had mental health difficulties for as long as i can remember really um stemming back to when i was about eight years old um it's when i first kind of experienced the feeling of maybe worthlessness and kind of lack of hope I guess I was on a family holiday um in a caravan park somewhere um 
and I remember my family were playing um, a board game and it, I think it was like, Mono- okay, I think it was Monopoly. So it probably wasn't that happy anyway, because Monopoly is never happy. So I was looking on and thinking. <laughs> Where are my hotels going? <laughs> yeah. This, what's, what's happening? All my money is going eight years old and I'm poor. Um, so yeah, that's where it started. No. So I was, <laughs> I was looking on um, and I think they were all kind of playing. I was maybe in the back. I was probably having a stop and refusing to play at this point. Um, but I was on the sofa just behind and I remember looking on to them and thinking, do you know what? you lot are a lot happier when I'm not part of the picture. And for me to look back on now and think as an eight-year-old thinking that, that they're looking at a family and thinking, I don't belong here. I don't deserve to be here. And actually, you lot would just be happier if I was gone. I was out of the picture. Mm. For an eight-year-old, that is a scary thing to think about. Mm. And I think it scares me to think about um, looking back. that It started kind of quite that young. Yeah. Um, because before then I kind of just imagined it, I guess like even up to to a couple of years ago, I was just thinking, you know, oh, well, I've only had it recently. You realize how much suffering was going on, but it was my normal. So I assumed it was normal Hmm. and realizing after, I guess, chats beyond chats, therapy beyond therapy, that actually that wasn't normal. Um, and actually might be something going on, um, there um it went on to about i was about 10 11 um i think about 11 and i was having recurrent spine injuries and that was kind of one of my main passions um and i used i guess as a way to cope with my emotions as well that i could run it off that i could get a bit of adrenaline that way and um it just it got me pumped and it was something I was passionate for so when i was getting these kind of recurrent injuries that really kind of like knocked my confidence a little bit because suddenly I wasn't able to do what I was most passionate for, what I was most motivated to get out of bed for, mm. and basically what helped me to be me. Um, so I ended up isolating myself quite a bit um, because I was no longer able to play in maybe the games at the weekends or go to trainings um, with my friends. So I suddenly felt like a big part of me had kind of gone. And though it was only kind of maybe at this point, two weeks at a time, three weeks at a time. I was always back in the game, but it kept happening and happening and happening. And I just felt like, I don't know, I didn't really fit in anymore. And although my team, I think now looking back, there was no kind of difference in how they looked at me. I thought that actually they didn't need me because if they won a game and I wasn't playing, that automatically meant that the reason they won was because I wasn't there despite the fact that they won all the time anyway because we were a solid team that actually that one game that they won I wasn't there meant that I didn't make a difference in that team therefore what's the point why do I bother going and it kind of spiraled and spiraled and I ended up getting really bad anxiety and I wouldn't leave the house I wouldn't go to school and ended up being dragged into the doctors um by my mum and then they diagnosed me with generalized anxiety disorder. They gave me kind of like a couple of little sprays, um, not really much to help. I don't really know what it was they gave me. Um, there were some tablets and then just like some normal go out and get some herbal remedies, um, but no real advice or understanding or 
actually they didn't really talk to me they talked to my mum um and I never really knew at that point what I was being diagnosed with I just thought okay well they've given me a pill to get better then I must get better but I don't really know what it is I'm getting better from Mm. and I think that is so important that you need to educate the young people that just I think they skim over them because they're young they talk to your parents they don't talk to you and if I knew maybe what was going on for me at 11 and it was actually an anxiety disorder and why maybe it is I was feeling this way or what these feelings were and that I wasn't alone that when things came up again in the future I would have gone hmm, I know what this is Mm. this is how I kind of managed it last time and this is what I'm going to do this time but I didn't have that so that was difficult and then it kind of settled down um for a little while um until I was about 14 and then I had kind of my biggest injury which was like basically sport career ending injury um I got diagnosed with complex regional pain syndrome so it's a really rare um, type of chronic pain. It's a, um, yeah, an in really intense stabbing, burning sensation constantly. It's the um, basically the network between where the original pain was. The receptor just doesn't switch off. It just keeps on firing impulses um, to your brain. And no doctors really know why this happens there's no treatment there's no cure so to hear that when I was 14 that Mm. the pain that I was experiencing at that point which was unbearable I couldn't do anything I've learned now to better manage um my pain it's still horrendous and it still gets me down but at 14 years old to be in such intense pain and knowing that actually that's kind of it you're basically being told that's the end of the line like there's nothing else they can do and you're out of sport to me a 14 year old that was my passion that was my dream that's where I was going with my career and it was all over I was 14 years old and I was retired um it felt it felt ridiculous um and it just I guess I kind of blocked it out a little bit it was kind of listening to the doctor speak to me it was like you know when you see in the movies that you've got people staring at a doctor and they're speaking, but no words are actually coming out. Yeah. It was kind of like that sort of moment, um, which it was just, I guess it was hard to think about um, because that was kind of the moment that actually, it didn't spark off mental health issues. Um, and I get asked that all the time, like, oh, well, you must have this because of that. Mm. Yeah, maybe it made it worse, but actually I can pinpoint things earlier than that injury. Yeah. So it's not something that caused it but it's something that made it worse Mm. and I was unable to cope with how I was feeling because I now had this extra stress on top of it um that was really difficult to deal with I was in mental and uh, physical pain um and experiencing one is horrendous experiencing both is horrendous um so I just didn't know where to really go from there or where to seek help um so I just kind of kept closed off I was a closed book um until about 16 um it kind of got out of control I was very self-destructive I was self-harming I was abusing alcohol and painkillers and for me that was a way to manage my physical pain it was a way to manage my emotional pain but 
not in a healthy way at all. And actually that was making things worse for me. Um, and then I ended up going into hospital um, for like a rehabilitation course. And whilst I was there, that was the first time that I'd actually spoken out about kind of what I was feeling, what was going on. So it was an overwhelming rush. A dam had just broken down and the river has just gone straight through the town um, below. It was it was horrendous. Um, the, I'd built up for so long and I'd refused to talk. I was so ashamed to talk about it because I was always the strong one um, in sport. That was kind of my role. And I didn't want to be seen as weak because that's what I kind of just assumed it was at that point, because that's what I'd learned growing up is emotions. No, Oh, this person's sadder. Like this person has it worse. Stop being sad. Don't cry. Just get over it. Deal with it. It's fine. Get up, man up all this. It's just, you're brought up in that kind of way that that's kind of where your mindset is and that stops you from speaking out and that's something that if I did earlier on probably would have really helped to have that early intervention even at like 11 when I went and got diagnosed with generalized generalized anxiety why was I not told then kind of what methods I could go down what route I could go down what kind of organizations were there what support system was there why were my teachers not more aware of what was going on? No one seemed to know. Um, so it wasn't really until it got to the breaking point that people started kind of taking note. Um, and it got, I guess it got worse and worse since there. I got deeper and deeper into depression. I wasn't um, eating. I wasn't drinking. I wasn't really, I was sleeping all the time. I wasn't leaving my room um, at all. Um it was really probably quite gross um, in my, you know, it was like a bat cave in the end. And um, I just couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't find the motivation to do anything. Just actually opening my eyes and breathing was some days it was too much. And I just didn't want to be there. Um, and I was incredibly suicidal for a really long time. Um for years and into when I got to about 18 yes yeah, so I was 18 and that's when I hit kind of breaking point and I had attempted to take my life um because I just didn't see another way out I didn't see any other options um and I thought actually I was starting to become a burden on people around me and I thought this is kind of like the best solution I can't handle this emotional pain anymore it's it's too much um, to bear and then I ended up in hospital and I don't really remember too much about that time I just remember that one moment I was kind of alone and then the next minute I was surrounded by people and machines um trying to save my life and I'm actually I, I I'm just really pleased that they did mm. um I have I still I mean now I still battle suicidal thoughts um, a lot, but I've kind of got to the point where I don't, I don't want to want to die anymore. Um, I don't know if that makes much sense, but yeah. though you can have suicidal thoughts, but it, it doesn't necessarily it's not lead to suicide. You, yeah. can, it's not something that you yeah, want, not, but you feel that emotion yeah. or you can have that yeah. thought in your mind and it's 
kind of it's recognizing it but not investing in it in the way that you were before yeah yeah it's it's an intrusive thought you can't stop intrusive thoughts they're there they come and they come at the worst times um but knowing that actually looking back and thinking how many things I would have missed out on mm. if I died that day and that makes me really sad to think about that I would have missed this I would have missed this and actually how many things I've gone on to do and that I, often I don't really take time to think oh, I'm actually proud of myself but I look at things and go yeah like I did I did well then I, I did good then I've done something positive and I look back on that and it makes me kind of strive to keep going and on days that are dark are difficult or months that are dark and difficult I just kind of think okay but I've struggled it through five minutes not even not a day not day I, I sometimes say day by day but actually for me sometimes it's five minutes at a time mm. and that's it get through to the next five minutes next five minutes next five minutes and that's all you have to do um just on repeat and then I think, yeah, so about six months after my own um, attempt, I'd lost one of my close family friends who I grew up with since I was born. Um, it's my mum's best friend's son. So, yeah, we were raised together, essentially. And, um, yeah, he took his own life. So that really hit um, home hard. Um, it was it was overwhelming. It was it's indescribable that feeling that I still remember when I was, I was sitting on the sofa and when I found out my heart sank, I didn't know what to do with all these feelings. It was so incredibly intense. My thoughts were his family and I just, I couldn't quite believe what happened and it brought back so many kind of feelings for me personally and knowing how, his family must be feeling right now and thinking about all his friends mm. and I just I couldn't cope with it um and I remember going to his funeral and it was heartbreaking and I just remember sitting there and I was feeling suicidal myself and I was feeling so guilty for feeling that way that I was currently sitting at my friend's funeral seeing the emotional impact it had on his family and his friends and that I was sitting there in that state and I look back and I just you know it was a really tough time I just thought his family would hate me for being alive that I got that second chance but he didn't and kind of why why am I still here why don't I don't deserve life and that's kind of what kept going through my head the whole time that this shouldn't have happened this should have been me and maybe if I died then then it could have saved him that might have opened his eyes in the way that losing him kind of opened my eyes and inspired me to campaign harder and to fight harder so that no one else had to kind of feel this way so that was kind of I guess one of the biggest points for me that actually got me into kind of driving me to change something something had to change that people are going to feel this way but they don't have to be ashamed to talk about it mm. they don't have to be ashamed to go and seek help and they don't have to be so closed off they don't have to be silent they don't have to feel alone um and i wanted to be kind of one of those people that went out and made them realize that 
and I think that was one of the yeah turning points for me and then soon after I'd got diagnosed with borderline personality disorder another one that they didn't really describe to me or explain what it was they just said you have this this is on paper take your meds off you go now and so I went off to Dr. Google um my most favorite doctor of them all um and he was a horrible doctor and scared me with the horror stories that Stephen King would have loved to have written about and um the, so, yeah, amount, of times, the amount of times I've had a hernia <laughs> <laughs> honestly it's it's uh, yeah don't go to Dr. Google ever. That's like my one piece of advice for everyone on the planet. Um, the, that terrified me because I started reading proper horror stories like murderer, a kind of serial killer. I was like, whoa, that's not me. Like, I don't fit this bracket. Or like, I was like, oh, like, do I? Does that mean I'm a murderer now? What's happening? I don't know what is going on inside my head. What are you telling me I have? And why do you think I am kind of that person? Mm. When actually, if you take back and look into proper articles or lived experience you kind of see the um kind of personality traits in there you see kind of symptoms and you think yeah okay like I fit this category and I can see what it is and actually realizing that it's not all negative there are some really really positive traits um I maybe I feel too intensely and sometimes that's really hard if I'm depressed that Mm. I will feel things like severely um but also if I feel loved if I feel empathy if I feel inspired then I will feel that really hard and that is a wonderful feeling to have Mm. and that's not spoken about enough that it's always kind of oh well personality must be manipulative and I don't think that I am that person and I feel like the the negative things are talked about so much borderline Border, the, the positives need to be kind of thrown out there as well and then I think it was not long after that actually that when I was 20 I had a um, manic episode and I didn't realize actually anything was wrong for quite a while um, because I was just kind of really kind of I loved to feel um, well I was feeling emotions um, mm. after being numb for so so long that actually suddenly um, I could feel all these things. I had ideas. I had so many ideas that I could get done, but not so much. So it didn't happen. The, the, the thoughts were flashing in my head, just constant, constant, constant flashing. So it was kind of bouncing from idea to idea. I was, I was not eating. I was not sleeping. But I had a huge amount of energy, and I loved that because I was so – I guess I was proactive. I was getting everything done that I needed to get done. And I was able to do everything that I didn't feel confident enough to do before. I wasn't able to get that done. I was too depressed. I was stuck in bed. And suddenly I was out jumping around thinking, you know, this is just me not being depressed. This is great. Um, My family were a little bit worried. Um, Okay, a lot worried that... (laughs) My behaviour had flipped um, quite dramatically. Um, I think to start with, they were probably quite pleased because I was doing all the washing, all the cleaning, all the cooking. Um, I mean, I mean, I was cooking meals by like 10 a.m. in the morning, so mm. it wasn't warm for dinner, but everything was done. So I was 
on fire with getting all my daily to-do tasks done. Almost kind of like I was probably doing like a week's worth in a day. Um, and after a while, it got too much. Um, the euphoria was – it was exhausting. It was – I was becoming quite um, – I guess it was dangerous. Um, I was spending a huge amount of money. I was I was just – dangerous I was taking risks that I shouldn't have been taking Mm. and it yeah it became quite destructive and I think a lot of the time people think of mania as being fun and exciting when I mean parts of it that have been a perk for me I mean the only perk really looking back on was that is what that was the period that made me sign up for time to change and without that manic episode I don't think I'd have had the confidence to do that Mm. but it was also incredibly dangerous to be in that state and to not know that you're in that state. I just thought this was me not being depressed. And I thought that was my kind of my happy medium when actually I'd just gone to the other end. I was on a spectrum and I hadn't found my happy medium at that point. Um, but soon after I came straight back down into a depressive episode and everything was dark, gloomy and horrendous again. And then I got diagnosed with bipolar type two so it was because they rated the manias kind of a lower grade mania, so often called hypermania, and that I fall into longer, darker, deeper depressive episodes um, that they kind of classed it down as bipolar type 2. So that was quite difficult because it was like another diagnosis thrown at me. I didn't really know what was going on um and it was kind of like switching up meds and things were changing again um it was changing kind of therapists specialists and i kind of felt like i was being bounced all over the place i didn't really know what was going on um and i think from there so that was kind of when i was 20 so i'm 22 now and things i mean i've had episodes but they've been nowhere near maybe intense um, I had a bad depressive episode last year, um, really difficult to deal with again. Um, and I've been struggling again quite a bit. And I feel actually okay to say that now, whereas before I'd just be like, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Actually, I've been asked recently, kind of like, how are you doing? I was like, actually, I'm, I'm really not that okay. Mm. But I know kind of what to do about it. I know where to go for my support. I know how to manage my medication. I know how to manage my day. I know how to fit some self-care in. And that has kind of made all the difference, I think, that actually I've got these skills now to learn how to kind of cope with it. And of all the things, I've had a decade of therapy, but I know I keep bringing it up. It's like a plug. They've not paid me for this. (laughs) But times change are the one thing, I think, that really – that was my turning point, starting with time to change and going out and sharing my story kind of unashamed and to inspire others and to use my experiences, like horrendous experiences, to use that for the positive and to use that for change, to change attitudes and behaviors and to inspire others to speak up and to be honest and open about kind of how they're feeling and to realize that it's actually, it's okay not to be okay. And that is what saved my life more than anything was the whole team there and the other young champions and the adult champions that I see. Uh, I don't see them so much in person, but kind of over Twitter. Um, but the whole network, I think it is so fantastic and I can't, I don't think I can like do them justice with my words at the moment, but 
they're just such a wonderful campaign, such wonderful people, so driven, so passionate, and they saved my life. If I'm going to put down to one thing, it's that campaign, and I hope that it's done the same for so many more around the country, and I'm sure it has. Um, so that's kind of long story short, my journey. Um, <laughs> that wasn't long story short. <laughs> no, that, that was short story long. That was, wasn't it? <laughs> Um, I think just uh, like just to take a minute and just say thank you for sharing all that because there's a lot in your story um, and there's a lot of bits that you could leave out and talk about other things and especially where you've got like multiple diagnosis and um, your own experience and thoughts with suicide and then having a friend that experiences that as well and I think that can be a really big thing for a lot of people to hear because it is um because it's that personal experience as well it's um like self-harm and suicide are things that affect a lot of people and again it's 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 more stigmatized and maybe other areas of mental health and i think um like you were saying for yourself i think being able to talk or hear or understand that it affects a lot of different people just being able to talk about it sometimes can be that relief um someone needs to just get it out or get a little bit of support um and maybe help balance yourself a little bit at the same time uh and i think a lot of the time um i was going to say especially with young people but i don't know that it is it's probably everyone um the our minds become so sort of twisted with the thoughts and the emotions that we're going through um that if you're struggling with thoughts of like self-harm and suicide you really need to talk to someone and i think because otherwise you just it's so internal which is where probably most of the problem is in the first place so all it's going to do is feed on itself um but i know when uh I was talking to someone else recently and we were talking about how actually in the last year, two years, people have become a lot more open. We're more willing to talk about mental health and that's absolutely amazing. But it's still very few people are willing to or are able to talk about personal experiences. Um, And it can be, yep, yep, I'm happy to talk to you about depression, anxiety, bipolar, but I don't want to talk about or I don't want to hear about actually like your experience because it becomes a little bit too much for some people to hear. Um, And I think that's why it's really important that we talk out. And if it's amongst ourselves in brackets to start off with and then other people gradually hear that and are aware of that, um, it helps those people that might need that bit of support or realize that they know someone that maybe could benefit from just having five minutes to sit down and talk to you could make a real difference um and then it was really cool again to kind of hear how much obviously specifically for you um like time to change but how those campaigns and those projects and activities can make a real difference and i think sometimes Uh, like you might do certain days where you're involved in a project or you want to do like a collaboration blog post or whatever and the intake um, or the interest might be low for some stuff but actually if you only if you only sort of reach one or two people that could be one or two people that you really heavily affect Um, yeah 
no small number is like insignificant like the change on someone's life just can't be can't be measured and I think we're really lucky to have young people like yourself that are um are still affected by mental health illnesses as well um talk about that because sometimes I think while it's great that people talk about it afterwards there's a little bit of a disconnect sometimes I think when you're reading something and you're like you can tell this person is experiencing this now you buy in a bit more I can't quite I don't know why that is but there's there's something there that makes you I don't know yeah just buy into that story um, I guess and that person a bit more I think it's because it's sometimes it's I think I find it easier to write about say if I'm writing a blog post about depression if I find a episode I find it a lot easier to write about to kind of connect with how I'm when I'm well it's actually hard to Mm. kind of remember just how unwell I was yeah I think it's hard to remember what it was like to be well like you don't think that you've ever been well you don't feel like you can be well again Mm. so unless you're in that place I think it's harder to maybe connect with your emotions of what it felt like but I don't think that it's still got as much power behind it because you're still using your experiences to change opinions and sometimes to hear from us I had a really lovely tweet the other day after I did a school session from a young girl who'd said actually it was really lovely to hear from a survivor and to hear that things can get better things can improve and you can do something with your experiences and that actually she went to help her friend and that her friend was just like me and it reminded me and I reminded her of her friend Mm. and knowing kind of maybe more ways of how to help her and that she wasn't alone like that was amazing so I know I completely understand what you're saying that it is kind of when you're in the midst of it that you can actually write more maybe um I guess passionately about the emotions you're experiencing right at that second um also i think seen so many blogs so many vlogs and so many articles that have so passionately and powerfully explained just what it was like um that i think any blog post talking about it in a positive not not a positive way necessarily but like kind of not attacking so not stigmatizing ways where i'm kind of going that that's good it's helping to get forward to the overall aim of awareness to end stigma to end discrimination and actually to get it as an open topic and to get people talking about it like the norm like mm. when are we walking the streets and say hi how are you and i turn around and go oh i'm actually struggling rather than find you yeah. like when are we going to have when are we going to have that kind of in the workplace or just at kind of family occasions when are we going to actually answer honestly and i think that with the passion of campaigners and through charities and through the lived experiences that I think that is what is going to, and that's what's going to change. And that is, it's changing already. You can see the change and it's amazing to see the change. I just think there's so much more to be done. Um, So not giving up now. We are fighting on, we are campaigning on and we're going to keep going until stigma is no longer a thing and it's completely gone. One day, I, I the love, dream. Live the dream. Um, <laughs> so, 
with that aspiration in mind, um, what sort of stuff have you got planned for like the next yeah, couple of one. months? <laughs> well, clearly to eradicate stigma altogether within the next week, actually. No, okay, maybe I'll be a bit more realistic. Um, so what's coming up for me? So I am going to continue campaigning. I'm going to continue blogging. I'm going to start going into schools um, with the support of um, Time to Change. That I'm going to go in maybe some more independent schools and actually set up my own um, presentations in schools. I've been working with a local school um, to kind of help them and maybe go in and speak to their staff about programs to run within the school. I'm hoping to get some organisations on board um, that I've been sending around a few emails um, recently. So going to try and get those to sign up to an employer's pledge that Times Change run. I have I've got quite a few um yeah blog posts planned I want to start trying to do a vlog um I tried to do one yesterday on the way home because I was feeling like proper buzzing and emotional about the palace yeah um but I sat on the train I was like right I'm gonna do my first ever vlog <laughs> and okay one two um I was way too emotional at this point and I was just getting all happy, emotional, and I was trying to portray it, and it was coming out as a blubbering mess. Um, <laughs> and also, I hate myself on camera. So those kind of things went slightly wrong. And also, I then realized that I thought I was alone filming this vlog on the train because it was empty when I looked. And it turns out, actually, there was a human that was laying down on the seat, the bugger. So <gasps> there was a human? They <laughs> well yeah <laughs> it wasn't funny it was really embarrassing because I'd literally done this first thing going this is my first vlog this is my first vlog like over and over again so then I was going what on earth this is your second or third vlog surely um so that didn't go well but I'm gonna try and get into vlogging um so hopefully that will come up in the future um but more and more campaigning um my passion is just get stronger and stronger each day. And yeah, I can't wait to see really where it goes from here. Um, on kind of, I guess the campaign journey and also kind of with friendships in the mental health community. And I think the whole thing is just one big kind of collective, um, journey really. Like we're all striving for the same end goal. Um, it's just that we all have our own little part to play. And I think sometimes people underestimate, the power that they have as an individual they're like okay well they're doing great things over there like I couldn't do that but actually if you just have one conversation it's never really just one conversation because that conversation will maybe inspire someone else to open up it might make them say to someone going oh I've heard from this person with a lived experience today and this is what they've gone on to do and it's a domino effect like it keeps on going it's not just just one conversation I say in inverted commas that I did that thinking that you could see me but you can't um so that was like an audio description oh dear um so I think that is what I have planned um that's the plan um I never really have a set stone but I want to get kind of things moving I'm hoping for eventually to get a book out um that will that will take time. That's not a couple of months. Okay. Um, long, long dream, but we'll get there. I have yeah, had uh, no. Um, a couple of people have asked before, particularly I think probably based off of this stuff that yourself and Beth have done with Times Change, is if they wanted yeah. to get involved as like a, a young champion or find out how to do more. Um, how could they yeah. do that? 
Okay, so um, for the young champions, it's actually it's a it's a pro program, so it's not so much of a. Um, I guess it's not a straightaway get involved sort of thing, but it's going to be recruiting again um, next year. So it's at the moment I'm on a two year um, program. So mm-hmm. My cohort will finish in September, and then a new lot will come in, so they'll kind of be recruited. But if you want to get involved, kind of now, um, I'd say go to the Times Change website. So www. That's too many W's. How many W's do you want? Three W's. Three. So you don't even have to type that bit anymore. I don't think. <laughs> do you not? Okay, just type time. I'm not very good with computers. Can you tell? So <laughs> times change <laughs> straight into Google, um, and they have a little tab um, that says "Get Involved," and it gives you loads of different ways in which you can get involved. It might be small ways, big ways. It kind of and they give you the option kind of like how much time do you actually have and they give you maybe some suggestions of how to um maybe use your experiences use your passion um and how to get involved um so into schools how to actually maybe write a blog how to um have conversations where to start they'll have loads of they've got loads of resources they've got amazing resources on their website um and they've got loads of personal stories and information on all on the website um and if you just keep an eye on i guess on their twitter pages on their facebook page and on their instagram um it'll keep updated on ways in which you can get involved and just kind of i guess sharing stories as well um like on your social media pages that makes a huge difference um just getting the word out there really it doesn't have to be like a huge you don't have to throw a massive event in like kind of a festival sort of style you can just have a simple maybe like a, a coffee morning um tea and cake um just a conversation like little things make a huge difference and i think sometimes people underestimate how big a difference they're having um so i think yeah just get straight onto the website get involved and you'll find loads of ways um in which you can get involved with their campaign which is amazing there's a couple of like online training modules and stuff like that so you can do little bits if you're not yep. sure what you want to do um there's a few modules yep. on there that you can go through and it just gives you some ideas and helps you kind of work out like you say what different things can you do um how can you run those and organize those and it just gives you a little bit of an insight um especially if you're not sure exactly what you want to do yeah. um that's a nice little intro as well i think yeah, I think it gives you some options. It gives you nice options as well. And the fact that you can actually now, they've literally just um, put up their brand new website and um, it's fantastic. And they now, um, you can put in how long you have. So do you have minutes? Do you have hours? Do you have months to plan things? And then from that, it gives you kind of short, quick things you can do or things that might take more planning. So it can kind of really be based around you, what you can do, what you can manage what time you have as well mm. um so i think that's wonderful that it really helps you out um and i've got like kind of good tools there that you can use and good resources you can use so you can just print out a poster edit it to whatever your event is and you're good to go so it helps you a lot with the planning process because i think sometimes that might be like one of the most stressful things about, mm. about trying to get involved with something is that oh god I, I i can't get these resources together i can't create it's, a poster yeah. actually it's all there for you like yeah. especially um, the first time when you're thinking about what can i do and like you say if it's a case definitely. of maybe just having like yeah. a little drop-in chat or having a coffee morning 
you can, like you say, there's posters that you yeah. can customise, print them off, and it's all there, it's done for you. All you've got to do really is turn up. So um, that's yeah. really good to have on there as well. Um, obviously, following on from today, if people want to get in contact or find out a little bit more about you, where can they go? So um, I'm on Twitter um, under the handle Dodie Volunteers or my website www.justagirlinterrupted.com um, and I have a contact bar there where you can email me um, and find all my blogs and other information there. Cool. Yeah. Thank you very much for coming on and sharing your story. Thank you for having me. It's been really nice. It's been really nice actually for me just to like... Well, firstly, just to chat with you. Um, but, yeah, just to find out a little bit more about your story and all the things that you do as well, really. So yeah. thank you from me, because I've, I've enjoyed listening. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. At least I've not bored one person. No, that's it. Good to go. Cool. Well, you did pretty well. Five minutes past. Yeah, smashed quite, it. Didn't quite keep to the hour, but we were really close. That, yeah, to be fair, we did good. Yeah. Um, if you weren't singing, if you weren't singing at the start, we got straight in. So yeah, yeah. Okay. Just singing. Yeah. You ruined it. <laughs> oh dear. I crossed my fingers it wouldn't start. <laughs> I really hope it did. <laughs> oh, dearie me. Oh, dear.